opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and we have a great show today. Um, in a moment, I'm going to throw out some announcements, but point of personal privilege. Um, I've been doing this show for almost four years, and every once in a while, we have one of those shows that is really impactful. And last week, um, I mean, I get two or three or five emails each week about the show, which is great. But last week we had an amazing conversation with Mike Tyndall. And so for everyone who reached out about the conversation, thank you so much. Um, I, those of you who wanted a forward to Mike, I did so. Um, and you can find that in every other Sunday edition by going to acbmedia.org uh, scrolling a couple of spots, clicking on podcasts. And after all of the ACB business podcasts, the first one on the podcast list is Sunday edition. So you can grab that at any point and listen to all of the past conversations. Um, but again, I, I, I also, I would definitely rank last week's show in my top five. And I uh, just really want to thank everybody out there for, for their comments and feedback and support. Today is National White Keen Awareness or Safety Day. Um, and in the second hour, we will be speaking with Judy Pori, a mobility instructor from here in my home, in my adoptive home city, Miami. Um, I worked with her briefly when I needed some orientations in my new neighborhood. Um, but we became friends and I thought we would take a look at White Cane Day from the other side. A um, couple of announcements. On October 11th, we celebrated National Coming Out Day and my beloved home special interest affiliate, where I am currently the vice president, produced an amazing podcast. Um, Bryn, you want to tell the folks a little bit about what they can hear if they go to acbmedia.org, swipe to podcasts and find Pride Connection. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. So Pride Connection has really been moving along lately. And um, we, we've had some really interesting podcasts. And we just had one uh, not too long ago about uh, National Coming Out Day, uh, which was just really cool. Lots of different people from different walks of life talking about uh, what it was like to come out. Uh, previous to that one, we had uh, an episode all about our favorite podcasts. Some of them were LGBTQ related and others were not. Um, and coming up, we're going to be having a conversation about Halloween and how it's Halloween. Spooktacular. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The, the Pride Connection Spooktacular. 
Um, and a bunch of us talked about how Halloween uh, intersected with our with our queerness. Um, and so some of us talked about costumes and how we were able to express ourselves through costume. Some of us talk about um, experiences that happened to us during Halloween. Um, some of us talk about our favorite candy. And there might even be a, a, a couple of scary songs uh, in there as well. <laughs> we're reaching out to a couple of our talented musicians within ACB uh, who are also BPI members to see if they might uh, sing us a little monster mash or something. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear the finished product of that. Uh, this month is also Hispanic heritage awareness month. And, um, you know, personally I, I'm uh, adopted into a beautiful Hispanic family and um, I, I love celebrating this. Sheila, you have a little announcement um, about a certain celebration coming up this week, I believe. Next week. On the 25th, that will be the next recipe swap. And it is dedicated to the um, Hispanic Heritage Month. And I'm not able to facilitate that call for the first time in three and a half years, three plus half years. But I've asked Gabriel Lopez Cafati if he would step in and facilitate. So I'm very excited to see the recording of that one. So Gabriel is going to facilitate and hopefully people will call him with some awesome recipes. Well, spoiler alert, um, I usually say I am the cook in the family, but he is a fantastic cook as well. Um, so I think it's going to be an amazing call on the 25th, everyone. All right. Well, that's um, Sheila Brin. Any other any other announcements you guys want to throw out there? Mm, I, I will say that uh, I will be throwing in a couple of songs, um, you know, uh, blind humor songs into my show this week, uh, The Fun Zone, uh, because of uh, White Cane Safety Day. Um, so if you're looking for songs, um, that bring a little, a little bit of humor to, uh, being blind, uh, then check out the fun zone. Uh, my website is funzone.show and, uh, yeah, we'll be playing parodies and novelty records and stuff like that. And coming up soon, we're going to be doing Halloween stuff. Um, not this week. Cause I don't want to saturate everybody with too much Halloween stuff, but maybe next week we'll start with the spooky stuff. And the fun zone is an awesome, uh, an awesome two, two, you do two hours, don't you? I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. An awesome two hours of fun, novelty music, fun songs, um, and, and Bryn's sparkling, incredibly bubbly personality. Aw, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Hello to everyone in Clubhouse. Connecting us is Jane. So I want to say thank you there. Um, programming note, next week on this show, um, I will be interviewing a guy named Dave, uh, who is the founder of Tactile Engineering. And he's going to be telling us all about a revolutionary new Braille tablet called the Cadence. Um, and for the first time in Sunday Edition history, I will actually be doing the interview live here from Miami. Um, he's coming through on his media tour for the Cadence. And so I will actually be playing with it as we are talking about it. Um, I, for those who listen regularly, you all know I am very early in my Braille journey. Um, one of the cool features about it is it has a, a pre-Braille learning um, 
uh, portion to it, I got application where you can do jumbo dots, large size dots, um, as well as raised tactile letters for those of us who lost sight later in life and are struggling like I am to learn Braille. You can match the the um, cell to the actual letter, and this tablet creates actual graphics. So all of those emojis and things that you're wondering, what do they actually feel like? Um, this tablet is able to recreate or create them for you, and you can connect up to four of them to make this huge, like eighty cell braille. I'm thinking like when you're, you know, when you're in one of those media rooms and there's a couple of screens um, showing different things, then all of a sudden you press a button and they're all showing the same thing in, you know, like, you know, giant, cheap, giant form. So please uh, think of some questions to hit up Dave with. We'll have the whole two hours with him next week. I'm really looking forward to that show. On the fifth, we will have the audio description gala um, with Paul Richardson Kim Charlson and Tabitha Kenlin. We're really looking forward to that show. You guys should mark the date. Sheila, it is the 14th, correct? November 14th? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys should mark your calendars for that. Uh, we've had two beautifully successful audio description galas. So I am looking forward to seeing what they have all come up with this year. All right. So let's get to the heart of the matter. I am very pleased to welcome back Peter Alchel and Michael Babcock to the show. Welcome, fellas. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. You guys, you guys have been pretty busy this week doing the trifecta of ACB Media Tour. Um, so talk to us. Tell us about the survey. Well, the first thing I should say is, in addition to those things you mentioned, the uh, White uh, Cane uh, Day and the Hispanic Awareness or whatever it's called, Celebration Month. It is also Disability Employment Awareness Month. It is. And so um, as part of that, and uh, let me back up a little bit. The Employment Committee um, has been doing its thing for the past, I don't know, 10 years or so or more. And, and sort of talking about our future, we realized we really didn't have any, a clear sense of what uh, our connection with ACB and employment should be. Uh, we we do a podcast uh, once a month uh, where we interview uh, blind folks with interesting career paths and those employers that hire them. We post jobs on various listservs that we hope people uh, are helping people in their career search. And at at the uh, um, uh, conventions, both virtual and in person, we run various workshops. But we really have no sense of what ACB wants out of an employment committee. So we have developed a survey, which was posted on, on October 1st, and it'll be available through to October 31st. And basically, it's a survey that's accessible, that takes no more than 10 minutes to complete, and asks a bunch of demographic, demographic information, you know, age range, you know, your employment situation, full, fully employed, entrepreneur, partly employed, that kind of stuff. Um, and um, your your blindness, where you fit in the blindness, high partial spectrum. Uh, and then um, sort of what it is you want, or, you know, what, uh, what, what would be of value to you in helping you get a job or getting a new job or whatever it is. And how um, ACB might be part of that uh, uh, help. How can ACB best support folks 
in the employment arena. So the survey, we hope all of you will complete the survey. Again, the deadline is the October 31st, Halloween. So as you're listening to Monster Mash and uh, eating all that candy and dressing and costumes and all that, before you do all that, um, by the way, I'm going to be uh, getting a costume as Sardine Man, but that's a different conversation for another time. Um, so, um, but before that, please complete the survey. Now, the the link is like endless and there's no point in repeating it on air. However, at the end of the show, I will uh, post a message to the various lists, given the, the link, and please go online and complete the survey. Anthony, I'm hoping you will you will forward it on to your, your blind pride um, crowd. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, and Bryn will embed it to the show notes as well when we upload this for a podcast. Awesome. And uh, if there are any next gen folks on, we, we hope that you will uh, do your thing with us as well. Uh, so that's really the, the, what, what, what this is about, Michael, did I forget something or you want to add something? No, I took all these notes cause I'm like, just in case I need to go over something, but you did pretty good, Peter. <laughs> well, thank you. So yeah. that's it. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, that, that's our pitch. Uh, Anthony, do you have other further questions for us or what is it that you need from us? I do. I'm going to ask some questions and I'm going to open it up to the audience because our white cane person will be here around quarter to two. Um, so you guys are going to have to vamp with me a bit. That's um, fine. I'm perfectly happy to, to you know, answer whatever you need. So I, I definitely will take the, the survey as someone who is still looking for employment. Um, are there any questions about folks who you know have lost their sight midlife and have had careers and are now struggling to figure out what to do in the second half you know or in in this ideation of life there is no direct question answering that question however there is um a couple of um spots on the forum where folks can can make comments and so it's in those comments you might say something along the lines of you know i had a job as a uh, you know, when I was fully sighted and now I don't. And, you know, that's the kind of information that'd be really useful for us. You know, the, the problem with creating a survey, hey, Talia, the problem with creating a survey is you don't want to make it so long that it takes forever to fill out, but you also want to get as much information as you can. And, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. Uh, but, you know, I hope that answers your question. It's not directly included in the survey, but there are places where you can, you can comment on that. Yeah, Anthony, for example, one of the questions that's on the survey is please describe obstacles you have experienced while or that have impacted your employment goals. And as we all know, losing sight mid-career is definitely an obstacle. So that's the type of stuff we want to get so we know how best the employment committee can can help those who've encountered challenges. Well, that makes me very happy because I I personally do not like surveys that don't have opening, excuse me, open-ended questions, um, you know, to be able to provide uh, more detailed information. Um, and I think, you know, that'll probably end up being very useful to the employment committee, seeing, you know, where are the commonalities in obstacles and things like that? Um, what are the commonalities in where people's, have 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 taken them up to this point um so definitely like that idea um the next question that i was thinking about uh we've done employment here on sunday edition um quite a few times in the past and one of the things that folks always say is you know try to find an internship and i know in my sighted life interning was absolutely valuable um 
I interned for the American Council of the Blind after I lost my sight, and that was very valuable for me as well. Um, what are some ways to find yourself an internship opportunity? Michael, I'll start with you. Uh, so to be fully transparent, I have no experience with interning. Um, what we can do, though, and it comes down to volunteering and even getting involved in your own community. So um, I haven't done a lot of volunteer work throughout my life, aside from, I guess what I'd say is virtual volunteer work. So helping in the community, helping other people who need uh, assistance with Zoom and stuff like that. Um one of the reasons I got involved with the ACB is because there was a local affiliate or a local chapter of our state affiliate that actually met in person. And I looked into some other consumer organizations uh, back in 2019 when I got started and they were meeting virtually and that's fine. But at that point I, I needed and wanted a personal connection with actual people who yeah. were blind as well. So um, I, started going to the meeting and getting involved there. And uh, that's transitioned into more leadership opportunities, which has inspired me to go and start doing some more volunteer work. And we were talking about it at a, uh, it was either a local chapter meeting or on another show. I don't know. They all merge together sometimes, <laughs> but uh, me and a group of people were talking and there was the discussion about just going into schools and, and seeing what you need to volunteer. And yes, now there's going to be background forms that you have to fill out, but that opportunity is available because they need the help. Uh, so recently I sent an email to get started uh, doing some volunteer work in the radio and media production class that is available at our alternative local school, which I think is super exciting. And that's something I don't think I would have actually gone out and did unless I was in a leadership role within ACB uh, at the local level. So let me add to what Mike uh, Michael said um, that uh, there was a whole discussion on Terry Pacheco's show visibility about how several folks mm -hmm. got jobs through volunteering uh, one, one in the school and one elsewhere. And so volunteering isn't necessarily an internship, but it's sort of equivalent, you know, um, as a paid internship. Uh, because in many cases, if you have an internship that leads to, um, you know, a full-time employment or a good connection that you can add to your resume so you can find a related job in a related field. When it comes to actual internships, uh, most of those go through uh, connected with universities and colleges. And for those who are in such a circumstance, my, my recommendation is twofold as one who ran an internship program. The first is be really, really clear about what it is you're looking for and what your skills are, because internships can be really competitive. And when we're looking, um, you know, we, we really want to have a, a good feel for uh, who who you are and, wh and what your skills are and how you can help us to be, to be perfectly mercenary about it. Um, uh, the other thing is, um, and this has to do with grant writing as well, when you get an application, please complete it. Don't make, you know, uh, you know, fo follow the directions, because if you don't follow the directions, what message does that give to um, the folks screening the applications? It says, if you don't follow directions with the uh, application process, how likely are you to follow directions when it comes to doing the actual job? So follow the directions as well. Um, internships are awesome if, if they work really well. Um, and if you do get an internship, take advantage of it. 
you know, try to put yourself out there and take risks because sometimes uh, internships are, are, are sort of, uh, sort of for they're universally designed which means they're supposed to work for everybody the same way but of course they don't always work that way so be prepared to advocate for your needs and your interests because most employers really want the inter interns to be successful because it is a great way to market themselves to a particular university that they're um, using as an internship vehicle and it also has potential for 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 people um you know for, for higher potential hirees Many organizations are are commit are trying to do this diversity and inclusion thing, um, some better than others. And this is a great this is one of the ways they do it. They they reach out to people of diverse backgrounds and those that are that connect, they're gonna hire. So um so and and of course the obvious thing is uh, if you're if you're if you're a, a university student or a college student or a community college student go to your career services office or go to the place where internships are available. Make yourself known that you're interested in internships and bug them because, you know, this is the squeaky wheel routine. Um, the, the more that people know who you are, what your skills are, the more likely to, they are to remember you, remember you and call you when an opportunity comes along that fits your skill set. So that's sort of my advice about internships. <clears throat> One of the things I've been thinking about since the last call that we did a few weeks ago was the interview and cover letter process. And um, I'm going to take them in a two-prong approach. First, with the interview, I, I know a lot of people out there, a lot of folks out there get flustered. They get, you know, um, nervous when sitting in that Zoom room or in the live room, especially if it's one of those interviews where you're with a panel of people. And sometimes you don't really get to say everything. You don't get to say, you know, because an interview, I believe an interview is you selling yourself, um, you know, targeted to what is the need that's looking to be filled. Um, spoiler alert, I don't really have the nervousness um, afraid to speak in an interview issue, but I do know that it's 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 one that a lot of people struggle with. And then bringing it over to the cover letter portion of it, um, the reason I'm asking is because a lot of us have an amazing amount of volunteer experience right here in the American Council of the Blind and other organizations that we may involve be involved with, including, you know, some of our church outreach um, you know, those who have been parents and have done uh, PTA type stuff and organizing events. And a lot of people forget that that is skills that you can conversate with. Um, so is the employment committee ever thought about putting on maybe a call or a series of calls about how do you take your volunteer experience and turn them into talking points for your interviewing and cover letter experience? So the answer to your question is, we haven't. If that seems to be a, 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 we're hoping that the survey will help us sort of figure out if that's something that would, would be of value. Um, part part of the problem that that I have observed with with these community calls is what the when the issue of employment comes up, they're really poorly attended, and so I'm not convinced that the community calls is is the way to go about this. But I could be wrong. Um, what what we what we are pondering doing is working with certain affiliates where employment seems to be more of an issue um and 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 go, take, going that route um but we you know the answer to your question is we don't know 
Um, our, our again, our experience with community calls has not been positive, but that may be because we're marketing it poorly, or it may be because of any number of reasons. So we're open to it. We just would like to see more people attend those calls that that would that we run. Um, I, um, with regards to I, 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 Anthony, I just want to make one comment about volunteer work with ACB. Um, that is incredibly valuable stuff. And yep. the question is, how do you market it to employers? especially to those who have never heard of the American Council of the Blind. So, uh, you know, if I say volunteer American Council of the Blind, the danger you run and um, is that they think, oh, he's a blind guy. Those things don't transfer. So mm-hmm. what, what, I, what, I, what I've done in the past is say, you know, this kind of work for a, a, uh, for a disability advocacy organization or something like that to make it more general. Because, you know, and if you're working, if you're applying for a job in the blindness field or the disability field, that's a different conversation. But if you're applying for a, a job in the um, mainstream stuff, I I try my best to not to name the organization, not because I'm not pr- proud of being an ACB member, but because it doesn't mean anything to people. You know, the, the, org- the name doesn't mean anything. So um, I just offer that for what it's worth. Um, uh, you have to find a way of, of showing that your volunteer experience uh, is not, doesn't, doesn't just work for blind people, those skills transfer. And that's the challenge that, that I found doing, you know, interviewing. Um, So I will shut up. Michael, any thoughts to add on that? No, not, not offhand. I I don't have any additional thoughts to add. No. In, in the thought process of, of bringing that question to the forefront, I'm thinking, you know, we have hosts, facilitators, streamers, um, we have people that are organizing events. Um, we have all of these committees that are doing great work. And I wonder how often we may be so caught up in figuring out what they want to hear from us as far as the job is concerned that we forget some of the special skills that you know we use here and in other organizations. You know, folks that um, organize church bazaars and right. field trips and, you know, all of those things are transferable skills if you know how you know, to turn them into talking points, how to, how to translate them. Peter, I think that's a great idea, a leading consumer advocacy organization or a leading consumer disability advocacy organization, rather than saying it as targeted. Um, Same thing with, you know, with religious experiences, Um, instead of saying from my church for a community outreach organization. And again, it it depends, you know, this, this ties into the concept that resume should be tailored for each job, ideally. And so, you know, if, if you're applying for a job in a religious affiliation, then of course you should mention your, you know, the, the church stuff. Um, but, and, and it really depends on the employer and doing some research. I want to say a word about interviewing. This is my, my take on it, that essentially in interviewing, you are telling a good story. So they often ask questions, give us an example of X, and so what you want to what you want to do, and this requires practice, is for some people um, to reduce that nervousness that you were talking about, Anthony. You know, so if they ask, talk, tell about, tell me about experience when X, what you want to do is tell a good story. And each story has a beginning, a middle and an end. Right. So um, you talk about the beginning, the situation that you found yourself in that's related to the question. The middle is what you did to, you know, to address the issue or uh, whatever the situation was. And the end is the results. You know, so if somebody asks me a question about how I uh, address a conflict in the workplace, I might talk about how at this organization we were running into this issue. Uh, here was the conflict. 
the middle part of the story is here's what I did to address it. You know, I talked to certain people, I met with the group, I this is what I did. And the result was the group met, uh, the, the team worked better as a team. And that's really what interviewers want to hear good stories. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, that's that's what I've always found about interviewing. You know, it, it's the person who tells the best story often gets the job. Yeah, I interviewed for a position to go to be a supervisor in a contact in a virtual contact center I was working for. And I ended up not getting the position. Um, So a if you feel comfortable with the interviewee, or the person putting the interview together, it can't hurt to ask questions. And so I asked questions, hey, what could I have done better to get this position? Because this is something I, I wanted to do. I was uh, admittedly done with talking with people at the front line. And she told me, she said, if you remember the STAR methodology and you apply that to the answers of your questions, then that will allow us to see that you can represent yourself better. Uh, so like Peter was saying, if you can tell stories and tell it in a way we can tune into, then you're going to sound better to us. And the STAR method, and I remember it now, is situation, task, action, resolution. So exactly what Peter was talking about. And I think if you go into it remembering that and saying, hey, what are some situations I can tell people about? What are the tasks that I completed? Uh, how are the actions and and what's the resolution? So keep that in mind and tell stories. I, I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago on um, employment and it was a more it was a more general uh, disability oriented podcast. And one of the uh, presenters was a, an HR manager for a smaller company. And she was talking about how a lot of times uh, when she has interviewed someone who is disabled um, or with a disability, that they have spoken about their challenges in ways that were not goal, uh, you know, solution oriented, that were more basically, it was her polite way of saying, you know, when they when they focused on something um, it was more complaint oriented rather than solution oriented. So I, I think definitely something to remember is if you're in those tell us about a challenging time situation, you want you know you want to make sure that somewhere through the middle of that, and I'm going to use Peter's term here because I do also believe you're selling yourself, you're telling your story. Um, so in the middle of your story, you want to be working towards. How did, you know, how you overcame that? Um, and don't use a situation where, you know, let's say in a previous job, you had to wait three weeks for JAWS and it was frustrating. Or if you're going to use the situation, how did you affect getting JAWS or, or whatever that accommodation you were? Leave out the three weeks of frustration and, you know, and talk more on the action oriented. How did we make this happen? Kind of thing. Peter, do you, Mike, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, my my re, my reaction is what what and when I interview, I it, uh, it's it, this has to comes to has to do with when when you disclose your disability and how you do it. So when I interview, when I when I'm interviewing for a job, I try to frame my answers without disability, at least part of it. So if, if, in other words, if I'm, if I'm asking a question about how do I resolve a workplace situation, I'm going to address a workplace situation. 
I'm not going to talk about my disability unless it's connected somehow. So, um, uh, and 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 then the, the trick is how do you how do you incorporate disability in, in sort of seamlessly into the story? So the way I talk about it is is you know starting without the disability and weaving the disability into the story. But other people do it differently, equally effectively. But 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 the point is, you got it. You got to come across as someone who can solve problems. You know, complaining is not going to do it. You got to have someone. You, you can talk about how you resolve the problem. So, you know, one of the issues I all of us deal with in the workplace is that the technology is is sometimes at best only partially accessible. So, how do you work around that? So, when that issue came up recently for a job I did not get. Um, I talked about how I made friends with folks in the uh, IT department who were, were sort of fascinated with the whole disability component and was able would come down and play with play with it with me. We could find ways of working around it. But that required, you know, a certain amount of communication and flexibility and, you know, appreciating where they were coming from and adapting to their schedule and all that kind of stuff. It required a whole bunch of flexibility because they're being flexible. So the least I can do is be flexible in return. So it's really a question of you. The the goal for a job is that you want to sell yourself that you can do that job and 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 help them meet whatever need they're trying to meet through the job. And disability has a connection with it or might not, but that's something you need to figure out. At, you know, as you prep for the interview and as you as you go through the interview. Uh, in my opinion. I. I... So I think that's important to to keep that in mind for sure. Um, and you're, yeah, I, I don't have anything else to add. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, I'm going to take a moment and say for those in the Zoom room or in Clubhouse, if you have some questions you want to ask Michael and Peter, please start bringing those hands up. If you're out there listening on ACB Media, it is the same Sunday edition, same link every week. So just find one of our postings and grab the link and come on in. Um, are you are you guys in favor of, and if so, how have you incorporated using or showing some of your tech in an interview? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I personally am only in favor of it. If you're either live or you're in like the second or third interview in a round of processes, but um, what are your thoughts? Let's start oh, with great. Michael this time. Before we do that, can you repeat the question? The tack is what I heard you say. What, what do you, I didn't understand. You. Are, you, understand are you in favor of showing some of your technology? Of course, you know, for those of us oh, that oh, use iPhone, okay. I understand um, that would be the okay. easiest one too. But yeah. some of us carry laptops and things. Um, Michael? So I have no problem with, with sharing how I use voiceover on the iPhone. Uh, typically, if they ask questions, I'm not going to go in there and say, here, let me prove myself that I can use, look, I can use this touch mm -hmm. screen. But if someone asks, well, how do you use a computer? Especially, like, I, that's a reasonable question. Yeah. I I could completely understand a sighted person who has no experience with a blind individual wondering, how is it that you use a computer? So I will pull my phone out, um, and typically I will try to slow the speech down quickly. And as I'm doing that, I apologize, and I say, don't worry. Not everyone listens to it this fast, and I get it if you don't understand. Once the speech is slowed down, then I'll flick around, and, and I'll... I'll show them how I double tap on my phone. Now, one thing that 
I found, and it was kind of embarrassing, is uh, make sure to also turn screen curtain off because if you have it on, they might be wondering what exactly is it that you're doing. Uh-huh. And if you're in a sighted environment, they want to see what you're doing. Oh, he's he's swiping his finger across the screen and that's moving over to the next app. Or, oh, this person is putting their finger on an app and then they're tapping on that app twice quickly and that's how it opens. And I think having that visual representation can help. I have never shown John jaws or any windows slash laptop uh accessibility because the phone's just so much easier i agree and, and, Peter, and I, th- I use note takers a lot uh braille sense and uh, uh before that the apex and i always take it with me to take notes so i always have it out in front of me so often people will ask you know what's that you know so that I, they'll give me a chance to talk about it. or you know, occasionally if um, uh, if they're asking a question about how I manage projects and how I keep track of data, um, you know, I'll talk about how I have files and, you know, and, and sort of show how it works. Um, but again, it, it has to do with uh, sort of you want to do this as seamlessly as possible as part of the story uh, is, is is the way I, tr- I try to do it. And I'm not always successful, but it, it's part of the story, not the story. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. Another piece of of getting, you know, getting actually to the interview is the cover letter. Um, Do either of you have any tips or, you know, what are your top five? This is what we this is what we talk about in cover letters. Michael, I need to learn this because I am horrible about it. Um, When it comes to cover, I'm trying I don't remember the last position. Oh, I do. So actually, it's the position I'm in right now where I had to write a cover letter. And this was before AI. So uh, I applied for this back in 2020. Um, Someone told me once, and I don't know who it was, that when you're reviewing a job posting, copy keywords out of that job posting and add them to a notes about this job file. Because when it comes to writing your cover letter or your resume specifically for that job, you can use those keywords, which uh, naturally people are looking for in order to in order to filter out those who may not be a good fit and who, again, didn't follow directions or read, actually read and get to know more information about the job. Um, so I went to AT Guys and I knew generally what the company was like, and I made a a keyword rich file, I believe one of the things had asked, how do you find information about um, new technology in the community? So in my cover letter, I put, I use tools like Top Tech Tidbits to keep myself up to date with new technology in the community, which is almost exactly what the question was asking in the job posting. So that can help play major assistance with cover letters. And now since I'm a horrible writer, I have a thousand thoughts running through my head and I can't write them down as fast as they come through my head. It feels (laughs) like Um, I do use chat GPT and I use that AI as a good starting point for how to start forming my cover letter, uh, because I find that to be easier to go in and fill in the details, make edits. Now, don't use exactly what it gives you, because that's a little bit too obvious and people can spot that now. So, Peter? Yeah, I, I'm intrigued, Michael, that you use chat GPT. Uh, and in fact, Michael and I are thinking about doing a session about chat GPT and how, how to use it in uh, with the career process 
And uh, we we are we are hoping to do that early. I think early next year is what we we talked about, Michael. But that may change. Yeah. Um, the, um, I'm sort of fascinated by that. I'm I'm not as hip to that as you are, Michael. My basic thing is when I'm writing the cover letter, I also look at the job description and I deliberately try to use the buzzwords in in the job description in the cover letter. Uh, uh, you know, so the, um, so if either the human person or the or the bot who's screening it will see these words are there and it cre- increases my opportunity slightly the chances of me getting through the first round and, and getting to the interview phase. Cause that's the purpose of the cover letter to, you know, to get by the screeners so you can talk to a human. That's the goal. And I like that you both have said, um, you know, tailoring or being position specific multiple times in this conversation. I think another thing, you know, with with um, Michael's approach, which is something that I do, um, I take bullet, po- I call them bullet points. Um, uh, but taking those keywords, if you, you know, if it's a very technical or a large um, job posting, and you see that keyword over and over again, I'll often go to. Uh, I've in previous Sunday editions, I have said that Bing Chat right now. Um, is my preferred, but um, I'll go various places before ChatGPT became, you know, released to the public and find synonyms. Um, and for something that I'm not sure about, I'm going to look at definitions and synonyms to make sh- synonyms to make sure that I'm not picking a synonym that doesn't actually match um, to make it, especially in my cover letter. Um, and I really want to be familiar with whatever the terminology is from my interview process, because the worst thing, you know, you can do in an interview process is be selling yourself um, with specific skill sets and not actually have a, a, you know, a complete understanding of what that specific skill set is for that specific position. Um, Another thing that I do is I look at other, you know, I research and try to find other companies with similar uh, positions and look and see what you know what information I can find out and what the market looks like so that you know I can I can be a little bit more knowledgeable in the conversation um for me lately I have been looking at targeted positions so I'm kind of in you know in that silo tunnel mode at the moment but you know in branching out or in looking at positions that don't necessarily fit my you know my previous experience, um, I will then, re- you know, like I just said, research a lot of other um, companies or avenues, organizations, whatever it might be, that that are in the same field or space to get up more knowledge and be to be able to let it flow off of my tongue more easily. Um, Sheila, do we have any hints yet? No, sir. All right, and Jane will let us know if anybody yeah. in Clubhouse yep. wants wants she to. Interact with us. Um, you know, let's turn this not to fun as in funny, you know, let's make fun of the situation, but do either of you want to share um a challenging um or a I walking out of that interview, like, okay, I know I didn't get it story with us? Whenever I get this question, I think about a, a an interview I was uh, uh for a program manager position at a social services agency. And uh, it became clear in the first five minutes of the interview that the the guy who was uh, interviewing me was the was the executive director, and he decided to that the interview was going to be a therapy session. He was going to be my therapist, and it was very very awkward. 
Uh, and at the end of the interview, uh, I said to the guy, look, I didn't come here to be a therapist. I came here to get a job yeah, for a job interview. Uh, I'm sorry. You didn't think, uh, you didn't take me seriously enough. Uh, I wish you well and walked out. Um, and I, you know, <laughs> that, that was, that was not, um, designed to, uh, lend me the job, but it was quite clear to me that he was not, uh, he wasn't serious. Yeah. He was using me as a case study about how to do therapy for a blind person or something. Uh, and uh, I called him on it and walked out the door. So the story that comes to mind for me is my first job interview ever. Uh, it was at Best Buy for people who have Best Buys near them. It's a major electronics store. And I was 16 then. And I went in there and I had an interview with the person. And I had practiced with a teacher, the blind and visually impaired teacher, uh, you know, career development individuals. And I knew all the answers to the questions, but I wasn't prepared to realize that people make judgments based on what they see. And uh, that was a, a easy lesson, or I guess maybe you'd say a hard lesson to learn at 16, because I left that interview and had the feeling and remember telling my mom, I, I said, I didn't get the job because I don't think he believed I could do it. And that was probably my most tough interview. I will tell you a, a, a interview, Michael, your story reminds me of my, the interview uh, from getting my first real nine to five job uh, was with the IRS. And there was one interview in like 20 people interviewing for customer service positions. And um, the interviewer asked each of us a question. I don't even, I, you know, and so I was like one of the last people. And so the interviewer said, Peter, here's your question. At which point my guide dog, who at that point was a Weimaraner named Heidi, leapt in the air and shook herself to wagged her tail. And the question, <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the question was, I answered it and got the job. About six months later, um, she, I said to her, um, you know, gee, that was sort of a weird interview. Why did, you, why did you hire me? She said, well, when your dog jumped in the air and wagged his tail, I, I thought, well, that dog is pretty sharp. He must be sharp, too. <laughs> That's why I got the job. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna share one. Um, it was one in my sighted life. Um, and I had finished college and was out there. And at that point, I was working three different jobs and loved it. And I scheduled myself for two interviews back to back. Um, in Manhattan, that's pretty easy to do. Yeah. And I was at the first interview, answering questions and and having a pretty good conversation. And they asked me about um, challenging situations that I have dealt with in the past. And I had prepared <laughs> and started thinking about tailoring it to the job post, you know, to the job description and what I was sitting in the room for, except I actually had the other job in my head and started talking. And the woman, the woman who was interviewing me was very polite. And they were two very different jobs. And so she was a little baffled and, and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, um, what do you think you're interviewing for? <laughs> I, I, I knew at that moment, I, I probably was not gonna get the job. Um, and I flubbed around. So I, I'm not usually very nervous in the interview setting, set, settings, but at that point, I, I sort of lost it and, and really did not recover well. I, I, I walked out of there knowing I didn't get that job. Um, subsequently speaking, I was offered the other job, um, but I had been interviewing a lot at that time. And um, I took a 
a job with the Village Voice. It's a, a well-known um, arts, culture, political newspaper um, from New York that is at that time was circulated around the country. It was a gr- it was it was a great experience. It wasn't pay wise what I was looking for, but I knew if I took that and and made a good name for myself at the at, you know at the paper. I would be able to take that anywhere and and get you know and move my career uh, forward. And subsequently, two years later, headhunters were calling me, um, and I I interviewed, but I didn't really look for when I when I started with the Associated Press. A headhunter had contacted me, um, and so you know sometimes I, I'm using that to seg- to segue because sometimes we can take positions that are not necessarily in our career path that will give us experience that will also give us a paycheck. Um, Peter, Michael, what are your thoughts on moving out of your preferred career path and, 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 you know, looking, broadening, going out of your personal box? So the way I've always viewed my job um, career has, I have a pretty good skill set. I know what those skills are. And so I look for jobs that need that where I can use those skills to, to what I think are to my best advantage. So I don't really care if it's for um, uh, for-profit sector or not-for-profit sector, uh, you know, if it's a disability organization or not. Uh, you know, I obviously I want a, a job that I can make as, you know, reasonable salaries I can get. But but I and I don't want there are certain sectors I don't want to work for. You know, I, I, I don't want to work for folks with certain political views, for example. But basically, I'm looking for an opportunity that I can use my skills to good effect, that I that I can be happy while making the employer happy and and uh, be uh, to be productive and doing doing good work. Um, you- so that's sort of the way I've, I've, I've done. So when I was look between jobs or whatever, I would, you know, sort of, I wouldn't just look, for example, in human resources, I might look in, um, I might look in sales, or I might look in, um, uh, I might look in uh, social services, or I might look in, I can't remember what else, whether fields, um, uh, uh, advocacy work, for example, when I was looking in sort of various different categories, you know, and sometimes I, like, there was this one job I was looking for in sort of, um, uh, it, and I can't remember what category it was, but it was an organization called Search for Common Ground that had this sort of small announcement in the Washington Post saying we're looking for somebody um, to help facilitate dialogues between pro-life and pro-choice um, activists. And I thought, well, I don't I never thought of what I would I'd want a job like that, but it meets my skill set. I'm going to apply. And I got the job. And that that was one of the most interesting and um a uh, uh, sort of uh, interesting and the job I would have happily taken that job for the rest of my life, except the mo- the money ran out after a year, which is, mm-hmm. but you know um, it, it's, it was a question of sort of being, you know, sort of stepping outside what I thought my, my career path should be and saying, okay, I have, I have a certain skill set. What jobs might be a good fit for that skill set? I agree. I agree with that. Um, I think one of what I find to be the more valuable things when it comes to looking for jobs is, first of all, remember, if you're employed, just looking doesn't, it's not bad to just look for what's available and what's out there. If you're not employed, Uh of course, you should be looking as well. 
And what I have Knowing found your worth though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I found though, is that I've run into some job descriptions that uh, kind of like what Peter was saying with the organization he got involved in with you stopping your thinking, you say, I do have these skills. I've never saw myself going into this field, but why not take a chance? And if you don't explore, then you don't know what could be available. And that could be the next step you need to move your career, both financially and, of course, rewarding uh, to the next step. And we have a great network here um, for networking. Doing this show once a week, I have made incredible connections. I don't necessarily need to post to one of the lists. But, you know, if you are looking at a specific position, there's probably someone in the American Council of the Blind who has experience with it. Um, you know, put a, put a message out to conversation. Hey, I'm about to interview for this. Can anyone have a five minute conversation with me or, you know, and ask some of the questions and, and let them um, hopefully let them ask you a few targeted questions that you can practice with before you even get to the interview process. So in in wrapping up today, um, I, I wanted to ask you guys about the employment emails that, that go out. Um, do you take suggestions if we come across stuff? Should we should we forward it to you? Or is there a targeted network that you're looking at, you know, pulling from? And when um, when do they come out? Let's remind folks when they come out and remind folks again about the survey. So if uh, we we will take um, we will uh, we will take any job announcement we can get. Um, what I look for, and, and so you can forward it to me, Anthony. Uh, uh, I don't want to give my email address, but I know you have it. Um, so you can forward it to me, and I will. I, I do take a look at them, and if if the job description seems really sort of uh, weird or clunky or inaccessible, some way I'm not I'm not going to post it. Uh, or if the deadline is too soon, I'm not going to post it because, you know, it's, it's, it's not worth, um, everybody's time. The, the, the announcements go out once or twice a week, depending on what, what comes across my desk. I'll probably put the next one out in the next day or two. Um, so, but it's, it's once or twice a week. And what we, what we ask is if you apply for a job that's, that, that, that they're posted to the lists, please let us know because it helps us to know that, you know, that what we're doing is being of some value to people. And especially if you get a job, you know, through that list, please let us know because, you know, it helps us with our marketing. Anthony, you know all about marketing. Um, so it really does help us uh, to do our marketing. Uh, um, with the survey, please, please complete it. Uh, when this show is over, I will send a, um, a link to the various lists. Please, um, the deadline is October 31st. So before you're trick-or-treating and costuming and eating candy and all that stuff, please get it done. And we will look at the results and then figure out what we are going to do as the employment committee. And then once we once we know something, we will let everybody else know as well. Anything to add to that, Michael? Nope. Uh, I did email the link to Bryn. Uh, so Perfect. you have that already. So you guys can get that added to the show notes too. So thanks a lot. Yep, I got it. Well, thank you. Well, awesome. I want to thank you both for coming back to Sunday edition. I'm sure you will be back here in the near future. Um, you guys want to throw out any teasers for any of the calls you're doing? We think we're not hundred percent sure yet, but we think we're going to do a community call uh, on the 24th of October. I think either at eight or nine o'clock East coast about the survey and anything else that comes up. Um, 
as far as uh, upcoming podcasts we're, we're doing, uh, we're going to be interviewing um, a the senior executive at the uh, one of the lighthouses in Florida and Tampa or Orlando. I can't remember which one it is, who linked with a um, computer company to make their software, customer service software, more accessible. So we're going to talk about how they did it, what it means for future potential folks who blind folks who are interested in customer service. And uh, we're kind of excited about that. Uh, we are trying to focus, and then we're also going to interview somebody, uh, Wisconsin, Beyond Vision, I think they're called, who hire lots of blind folks. And we are hoping over time to interview folks in other sectors who have a track record of hiring uh, people who are blind and visually impaired. So keep an eye on that. I know that the podcasts are are, are changed monthly on ACV Media, and you can get them through our website. You go to acb.org. Click on committees, click on employment committee, and on that site, there's a link to our podcasts. So please take a look at them. We, we're proud of them. They each run about half an hour, except for those podcasts that were recorded at the convention, which run an hour. Yeah. That's awesome. And how about on the personal scale, Sports Roundtable, Unmute Presents, anything else, anything you guys want to preview? Uh, sports Roundtable um, is a show that I work with with Bob Branco and a guest of two other sports uh uh, spelunkers as we call ourselves uh tomorrow we're interviewing i think we're interviewing uh the uh the play-by-play guy of the dodgers uh triple ace uh uh baseball team so I, I suspect we're going to talk about a lot about why the dodgers choked this year which uh, which is fine with me i'm not especially fond of los angeles um <laughs> and then uh in perspective which is uh runs friday at 5 p.m east coast time i'm going to be talking about advocating in, in, in times like these. And what I mean by that is we're no longer in the 1990s when the ADA passed and, and people were uh, sort of excited about the ADA. We're in a very different political age where yeah. we're, we're much more divided. And I'm going to try to take a run at how we at how that might change the way we advocate for our needs, whether it be personal or corporate. So check that out. Awesome. Michael. And then uh, tomorrow we drop Technically Working, which is an episode my friend Demasi and I host every or a show we host every Monday. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about uh, privacy and accessibility, which I think could turn into an interesting discussion uh, yeah. with listeners. And then every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern in ACB community, we do the Unmute Present. So bring your tech questions. If we don't know it, we'll get someone else to talk while we frantically Google the answer in the background. So that's what we do. And that's turned into a podcast later that day. Un- Unmute Presents is my go-to for technical questions. Um, spoiler alert, if Herbie isn't on a call that I'm on. <laughs> so, gentlemen, thank you so much. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for the Happy opportunity. Anthony. Happy uh, Employment Awareness Month. <laughs> That's All right. right. Transitioning. I am really excited for the oh, second God. half. Um as we, as we all know, today is White Cane Safety or White Cane Awareness Day. And um, that means a lot for our community. And hopefully there have been, I've heard a lot of my friends that have been participated in some great events. Um, so hopefully you were finding a way to mark that. But I wanted to have a conversation from the other side. So I asked one of my friends who, as I said at the beginning of the show, spoiler alert, I did have some mobility lessons from when I first moved to Miami. Welcome to Sunday edition, Judy Pori. Hey, Anthony. Thank you for having me. This Thank is exciting. you. 
And thank you, thank you for taking a pause from your sports for the day to spend an hour with us. Not a problem. My team's on a bye week anyway, so that's fine. Awesome, awesome. So why don't um why don't we get to know you a little bit? Tell us um about a little about yourself, where you're from, um you know where you grew up, and then we'll get into your life as a mobility instructor. Absolutely. Okay. So I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, I had a brother with a disability, but that's not the reason that I went into this. Um, I was a special education teacher for many, many years. I won't tell you how many, but just many, 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 many years. That is um, kind of what brought me into this. Um, I had a student that was in first grade. Let me back up a little bit. I was working ESY, if you probably know what that is, summer school for special education students. Anyway, I was working that summer. I had a student that was totally blind. He never walked. He didn't talk. He didn't do anything. All he did was lay there and scream and just carry on. I said, I can't deal with this. So the first, the first year, the first year I said, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. And I just dealt with it. The next year I said, I'm not, I'm not doing this. This kid is going to stand up. He's going to walk. He's going to do, he's going to do some things. So long story short, I got this, I got this kid. He, he, um, he was, I guess he was totally blind. He had, um, he had Jobert's syndrome and he had, uh, what's the other one anyway. Um, so I got him up and I got him walking and he had an O&M at the time. I had no idea what O&M was. I'd never worked with people who were blind or visually impaired before. This is all new to me. So I went to the O&M and I said, I want this kid to walk. Well, he looked at me and thought I was nuts. I said, uh-uh, he's getting up. He's going to walk. Well, I forced him to do the assessment. He did do the assessment. And long story short, we got him up. We got him walking. He was able to feed himself. He got I got him to the point where he could carry our uh, attendance to the office with some supervision. But he was he was walking. Um, he wasn't using a cane at the time because he wasn't able to. He was just to get him to walk and, and and trail the wall was was enough for him. So I figured I'd take it one step at a time. And we did try him with the cane, but it was it was it was a it was a little arduous process was a little more difficult because it was he had never crawled so he never walked so he never had those basic skills he didn't have tummy time he didn't have any of those skills by the time I was done with him he was walking feeding himself he could drink out of a water fountain so I was in the I was in the process of trying to get out of this out of the classroom so I thought oh I can be an O&M this is this is fun so went back to school I went to UMass, got my got my master's in O and M, and I I I did my internship in Miami, and um, I worked in Miami for six years as an O and M. I also I went back to school and I got my VRT from UMass also. So now I'm a VRT and an O and M, and I love I love what I do. You, Anthony, you know I love what I do because I do I do I love what I do. So. Um, that's pretty much me, unless you have questions. Well, I definitely have some questions and hopefully some of our audience will pop in with some questions of theirs as well. Um, let's, let's go back a little bit. Can you walk us through what the O&M instruction process is? 
You mean what I teach as far as instruction? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, the very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to interview my client. I want to know what their what their visual impairment is. I want to know what their goals are. I want to know what they can do, what they cannot do. So I I do an assessment first. I don't take their word for it because some people say they can do things and they, they really can't. So at first, I'll take their word for it until they can show to me that they can do what they do. The next thing that I teach is I basic teach, but basically just teach safety skills like uh, upper and lower body protection, um, safe seating, um, you know those those kinds of things. So that's what I teach first, um, and then I introduce my client to the cane, and then. Um, uh, I tell them there's different kinds of canes. Of course, we I think we all know that. Uh, but I, I introduce them to the cane. I introduce them to the different types of tips, why they're different, what one is used for and what another one's used for and what works for in this situation, what works for another situation. I mean, because everybody's different. So everybody's going to need a different type of tip to, in, to at least initially. And then I tell them that... you you don't have to stay with this tip. Um, I generally, you know, start with like a mushroom tip or a, or a rolling tip, not the big ball, the rolling tip, because it, it's easier to, to do the, um, 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 to, to stay in step and stay in rhythm. And I teach that first. I don't teach constant contact unless my client is older and can't, and can't do the uh, staying in step, the two point touch. Yeah. So, but I do, start with two point touch because you can hear it and you can feel it. And it's, it, and, and, and I want my clients to know that first, because that's, what's going to keep them safe. If you can't stay in step and stay in touch, stay in rhythm, you're not going to be safe when you're traveling. So that's what I do. I start indoors. Um, sometimes I've had clients that are, that whenever they start using the cane, every time it hits something, they kind of get startled. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll 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 teach them in this in a closed area where they have to hit something and get used to their cane hitting something because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed it's a it's a it's a detection. It detects obstacles in your way so that you know to avoid them. And that's what I try to get through to my clients that get startled. So then once we once um we're pretty good indoors, then I'll take them outdoors. We'll walk along the sidewalk. And I tell them, make sure you feel the, the, the grass on the right and the curb on the left. And they're usually afraid of the curb. But I show them, look, if your cane, if you get too close to the curb, your cane's going to feel it. So you're going to feel it drop. Oh, also, sometimes before we go outside, we'll do stairs. We'll do ascending and descending stairs. And when and that helps a lot when you're outside walking along the, the sidewalk because you're going to feel your cane drop just like you do when you're 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 um, approaching stairs going down because you can feel your cane drop so that's what I point out to them I, and of course I keep a close eye on them when they're walking but I try to keep them in the center of of the sidewalk so if they feel grass on their right with their cane, then I tell them, just take a side step to the left. If you feel the curb on your left, just take a side step to the right. And that's how I try to tell them to stay in the middle of the sidewalk. 
Um, and basically that's what we do. If they want to learn how to cross streets, that's a whole nother lesson. If they want to learn how to use public transportation, that's a whole nother lesson. But those are some of the things that I teach. I also teach um, apps on the phone, of which I'm sure you guys are mostly all aware of. Um, seeing AI, Be My Eyes. Um, uh, Ira, are you familiar with see Seeing AI? Have you heard I of am that, very, Anthony? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, is that wonderful or what? One of my favorite go-to apps. Oh, so that's it. one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. So since you brought it up, how, where in the process do you introduce the apps and what is your philosophy on app usage, you know, early on in your mobility experience? You know, Anthony, that's going to, that's all individualized. It just depends on my client. Most of my clients are older and they're not real good with technology. Uh, but once I show them what their technology, especially seeing AI can do for them, then they're more likely to use it. Um, if I have younger clients that are more tech savvy, then I'm going to introduce them more. And it just, again, it depends on what my client's goals are. Some of my clients, um, maybe they need uh, Lazario to get to be able to, to find their way around. Lazario is a GPS for, I'm sure you guys all know that, but I'm just saying anyways, Lazario is a GPS and it'll tell my clients where they are, what's around them, how far the corner is, how far the nearest store is. Um, if there's an intersection, what the streets are at the intersection, that's what Lazaria is going to do. Um, you know, there's a great app real quick. I don't know if I may have told you this in a prior conversation. It's called OKO. Or it's oh, called I OKO, love it. I just oh, you are, you, discovered yes. that. I discovered yeah. that I have a client in Miami and we were we were working on street crossings. And I it suddenly dawned on me that I had downloaded it and I wanted to see how it worked. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. I absolutely love it. OKO is an app that that um, uses the camera on your phone, just like Be My Eyes or Ira does. So when you get to an intersection and you pull that app up and you direct the camera on the back of your phone to either the the uh, the APS, what we call the pet head, you know, there's a little white guy or an orange hand or whatever, the countdown. It'll actually tell you the countdown too. Have you discovered that, Anthony? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. And if you direct Collins it, Avenue. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. oh, perfect. That's yeah, you really need it there. Yeah, you need um, it on Collins. Oh yeah. So um, and then if you if you direct it at the traffic light or even at the APS, like I said, it'll vibrate and it'll give a different type of a vibrate. It'll tell you to cross or not to cross, because it'll tell you if it's um um if you can't cross yet. Like I said, it'll tell you the countdown. That's an awesome app. Oh, I just love that. So, um, and then um, in answer to your question, when do I introduce apps to my clients? Sometimes like, well, when I was in Miami, there was, it gets really hot in Miami as most, as you all know. And when we're outside walking, sometimes we'll cut through like a Walgreens just to cool off for a little bit. And when we get in Walgreens, I start thinking, oh, we can use Be My Eyes. We can use Ira in here and show them how it works. And what I typically do, I like to do be my eyes first uh, to show them how that works because they use volunteers. And then after that, I'll show them how Ira works because I think Ira tends to give them better directions. Um, 
but uh, let them, you know, choose between themselves. And um, like I said, seeing AI is incredible, especially, you know, if someone's thinking about getting, um, I probably shouldn't say this, but if somebody wants to get like a, um, like an OrCam, sometimes, you know, seeing AI kind of covers the basis for that because it kind of does everything that the OrCam does and it's free. So that's just something to think about. Um, did I answer your question? You did. Um, I'm actually going to bring in a Sunday edition listener question. Uh, we allow for folks to email us. And um, <laughs> question came in from Mary. Mm -hmm. What do you teach your clients how to, uh, I'm paraphrasing because I'm not a, a avid Braille reader yet. Um, okay. on basically what she's asking is, when you have to carry packages and things, what are some tips that you have for folks um, in their mobility and being and having to carry things? Oh, that's an awesome question. That's a good question. I don't usually have clients that carry things. I usually have a backpack or something to keep that that hand free. Um, basically, that's kind of what I tell them to try to keep that hand free, so you're not you're not you know um, use your pockets, get a backpack or a, or a, or. A, a bag to hang over your shoulder or something. Now, um, if you're, if you go to like a food court, if you go to a food court uh, in a mall or something and you, and you got a meal and it's on a tray, one of the things that you can do is you can hold your, I'm right-handed. So I'm going to say I'm, a, I'm using my cane with my right hand. So I'm going to hold my tray up against my body with my left hand, with my cane in my right hand, so I can find my way around the, the, the food court. That's what I would suggest. If someone has other suggestions, I'm open to them. That's a great one. And it, and it made me think for a second, um, parents with toddlers, if they've got to scoop up a toddler quickly, um, have you ever encountered that? No, what well, most of most of my clients are one on one and they don't usually have kids with them. But if you have to scoop up a toddler, um, again, I probably try and scoop them up with your left hand or scoop them up and then try to get that arm free so you can use your cane. How um how do you know if someone is a good fit to go from the cane to using a guide dog? That's a wonderful question too. They have to be super good with the cane. They got to be able to cross the street independently, how to stay in the sidewalk, how to avoid obstacles. Even though your dog is going to help you avoid obstacles, you still need to be aware of what's a, you know, what's, what's above your head. Although your, your dog pretty much is supposed to do that too. Um, but they, they need to be super good with the cane. They have to be totally independent, not, not need me at all. And then once they get their dog, then, you know, we can do additional training, you know, with the team. Um, but they have to be able to cross the street independently. And I mean, when I say cross the street, I'm talking like a like a four lane street, two lanes, you know, going each way. So, you know, that's typically what I and then you also need to consider, will they take care of their dog? Will they are they able to take care of a dog? And in working with somebody, you can generally tell their personality and see if they're going the type of person is going to be able to take care of a dog. Because not everybody can, you know. Um, you also need to be able to um, get them to the vet when you need to, um, you know, things like that. 
So, and you got to keep your dog healthy. You can't let them get too overweight. I've had a couple clients that their dog got a little overweight because the harness was really tight on the poor thing. And so they had to put them on a diet. You know, you got to keep your dog healthy. Absolutely. Um, often we will trail to either the right or left in a natural tendency. What are some of the things that you do to keep someone, you know, on that straight line and especially in crosswalks where it's, you know, a, a, a increased safety issue. Mm-hmm. How do you train someone not to, not to trail off to the left or right? Oh my gosh, Anthony, that's so hard sometimes. Well, basically we start on the sidewalk. If they can stay in the middle of the sidewalk and you need to listen to the traffic, let's assume the traffic's on your left. Um, you need to follow the sounds of the traffic, follow the sidewalk. If you can follow the sidewalk straight down, chances are that's going to help you to align at the corner. If you're walking in a straight line, it should. You also have to align at the corner the right way. If you don't align at the corner, forget it. You have to align the right way. And that's using your cane and using non-visual skills, listening to the traffic. Um, You need to know that intersection. You can't just go up to a brand new intersection and say, I'm going to cross this intersection. You can't do that. You at any intersection, especially if it's a new one, you need to spend time there. You need to listen to the traffic, understand how the traffic flows, listen to um you got to analyze that whole intersection. Is it one way? Is it two ways? Is it does it have a traffic light? Is it a stop sign? There's so so many things you need to think about before you, when you're teaching street crossings. And then as you're crossing the street, when you're when you're actually stepping off the curb. And getting ready to cross the street. A couple of things to keep in mind. One of them is the camber of the street. You know, how the street goes up from one corner down to the other, from one curb down to the other curb. And you should be able to feel how the street goes up and comes back down. And that's basically for for drainage. But if you find yourself going up and you haven't come down, you're in the middle of the street. So you got to make sure you can detect that camber. The other thing that you need to do is listen to the traffic as you're crossing. You need to listen to the traffic that's stopped on your one side and the traffic that's moving on your on your other side, your parallel traffic. So you need to listen to both of those and have like a they call it like a a sound tunnel. So you can hear both of the sounds and to know that you're not too close to the moving traffic, but you're also not too close to the to the stopped cars. Now, of course, I know the question is going to come up about all these new quiet cars that are super quiet. That's a real dilemma. I think the best thing to do with those cars, some of them you can hear the the engine starters are getting ready to move, but some of them you don't. And the only thing that I can tell you to do is listen for the tires on the on the street, on the you know on the pavement. I think aside from that, you know. It's tough. Those those quiet cars are tough. So you 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 touched on a bunch of things. I I recently had a cane day, um, and I got I got very lax on this. And after this day, I realized I definitely need to go out every couple of weeks, you know, or maybe once every two months or so for a little while with the cane. Um, yeah. and I found myself at intersections going through two traffic cycles because I'm so spoiled with with my guide dog. Oh, um, right. 
you know, we get there, I orient myself and, and I'm still listening. Absolutely. But I'm not listening as actively. I'm listening to make sure there's not a car idling and things like that, rather than the flow of traffic. Because if I tell him forward and he doesn't go, then I know there's a reason. If he mm-hmm. goes, I know we're pretty much good to go. Right. Um, You're, yeah. You got a good dog. I do have a great dog. Oh my yeah, God, I'm really crossing do. myself as I say that. Um, but having said that, you know, walking, you know, walking with my cane and and getting to an intersection, I I, I was so brought back to the beginning of my bo- my mobility experience, which you know, my first mobility instructor drilled in my head: do not think that you know it. Mm-hmm. You know, at least in the beginning, listen, listen, go through mm-hmm. an entire traffic, si- you know, cycle for, you know, not not crossing the street on the corner of my block where I, you know, I, I'd crossed that millions of times. But, mm-hmm. you know, those intersections where you're at a stoplight, there's a lot of cars. Um, Collins Avenue, for example, you know, would be would be one where I would definitely go through maybe even two traffic cycles to make sure that, you know, I feel and understand what I'm hearing. Right. And another two more things. One more thing is when when I'm teaching street crossings, I'm looking at your feet. If your feet are pointed straight across, I look at your feet, your belly button and your nose should all be in a line. If if your feet are pointed straight, chances are you're going to go straight across that street. The other thing is, and I don't know if we talked about this, Anthony, do you do you um, flag before you cross the street? I did when I was using the cane. Yeah. Um, when when I was using the cane primarily. Well, when you use yes. the cane, do you flag? Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Because I think that's really really important. Um, because if you don't flag, then the drivers aren't going to know um, that you're getting ready to do something. If you're just standing there at the corner and you're holding a cane, they don't know what you're doing. They don't know if you're waiting for an Uber, if you're waiting for a a friend or whatever. But if you flag that cane, they're going to see that movement and they're going to say, oh, he's getting ready to do something. And chances are, chances are they're going to stop and let you go. What I what I do with Bodie a lot of the times, and I, that's my dog for those who may yeah. not know, um, a lot of times is I will tell him stay and I'll put my first, uh, my right foot off the curb into the street and mm-hmm. I'll wait a second and then I'll say forward. Um, but yeah, I did. I did flag with the cane. Um, okay, good. Good. And remember, do not leave your cane. Don't point your cane into the street. You get somebody who makes a real tight turn, you're going to lose your cane. Uh- uh-huh. So always, always pull it in and hold it diagonally and right in front of you. So whenever you're getting, when you get ready to go, you could just go. I mean, flag and go. But be careful with that. So I want to transition a little bit for parents. What do you, what do you, how do you um, start a relationship with a younger client and what do you tell your the parents about their experiences i think that there's a tendency to um bubble wrap i let's call it to bubble wrap our our blind and low vision youngsters i don't <laughs> no i know you don't but don't. how do you how do you you know how <laughs> okay, do you talk about honest, that with parents okay to be honest i don't typically work with a lot of kids in the school setting I usually, uh, I primarily work with adults. However, I can still answer your question. Um, Basically, um, I I don't, I don't, I don't bubble wrap anything. The kids need to, they need to 
um, learn to use their cane the right way and they need to use it as often as they can. And parents need to have hands off to help that child to be more independent, not just with traveling, but I mean, across the, across the board, give them chores around the house. Let them, let them, let them help you in the kitchen, believe it or not. Yeah. Parents are afraid of letting, I mean, how many times have you been not allowed in the kitchen or somebody, one of the other members has not been allowed in the kitchen because they're afraid you're going to hurt yourself. No, mm -hmm. go in the kitchen, learn how to do this, learn how to, um, how to put your pan on the stove the right way, learn how to, you know, cut a tomato or whatever. Yeah. You got to do, you got to help your kids to be as independent as possible because if not, they're going to be, they're not going to be independent as adults. They're going to be timid and they're not going to, you know, be independent. And that's what this is all about. Absolutely. They've got to bruise this, their shins. They've got to skin their knees. They've Absolutely. got to get hit with, with that branch because at some point you're not going to be there to, you know, stop them from getting hit by the branch. You're not going to let be them, there. Let them and they fall. need to figure out how to, fi exactly. Yes, and figure out what fall. comes next. Mm -hmm. Let them fall. They're going to fall. They're good. I mean, they're kids. Kids fall. Kids get hurt. Kids get bruises. They get scrapes. Even if the kid is blind, they're still need. They're still going to fall. They're still going to get scrapes. They're still. I mean, you know, it's going to happen. Even as adults, we still fall and have scrapes and bruises. So you know, just because your child's blind doesn't mean that you need to baby them. Even it's actually, it's the opposite. You need to be, you know, let them go, do more things on their own. So today is White King Day, which, you know, is why we're having this conversation. Um, can you share with us your thoughts on the importance of making this, you know, making this a, a national observance day and the events that we do? Mm-hmm. Um, so White Cane Day, as most of you know, um, is uh, a day when we honor the white cane. Um, and I, I pulled some stuff up. Let me see if I can find what I was looking for. Okay. Um, so it's White Cane Day. It's also known as Blind Americans Equality Day. I yeah. didn't know that. Did you know that? I did. Yes. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay. Well, the things you learn, right? Um, but apparently, White Cane Day was um, initially what 1960 or something that, that they that they initially did that. Do you have that information? I used to have it. 1964. I thought it was 62. 1964. 64. Congress ad adopted a joint resolution in 1964 designating October 15th of each year as White Cane Safety Day and recognizing that white canes enable blind people to travel safely and independently. So um, I think it's super important because there, there are there's a white cane law across the country that many people, probably most Americans, are totally unaware of. And basically, what it says is if if a if um, if you see a pedestrian um, on the street, either with a cane or a guide dog, whether your cane is red tipped or not, a guide dog, um, um, a wheelchair. That driver has to stop for them because if they don't, at least in this in, in Florida, anyways, is, which is where I am now, um, it's a it's it's against the law. They'll get it's a moving violation. Um, they'll get fined for it, and if there's an injury, they, there's a there's an additional fine. 
it should be a whole lot more than just a fine if you hurt somebody. Um, but I, I think it's super important because people are totally unaware, which is, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of organizations um, that work with people who are blind or visually impaired have walks on White Cane Day to yeah. draw attention and awareness to the fact that people who are blind can still travel the street and they can still go up and down the street safely, but they use their cane to do it or their dog. And people need to see that and be aware of that. So I think that's why a lot of places, um, the, the place I worked in Miami is, is doing it on tomorrow. The place I'm working out at now is doing it also tomorrow. We're taking our clients out onto the street. We will have police there to help us cross the street because this is a really busy street. So we're going to walk up the street to the first traffic light. We're going to cross over, walk back down again, and then cross back over again and come back to the center. But I think it's super important that, that regular, you know, that people see us and know that, hey, these people are out there. we got to watch out for them. I think it's super important. So what are some things that have surprised you at working as a mobility instructor, whether it be, you know, blindness related or, you know, human related that you may have learned in, you know, your life experience in the mobility sector? Actually, the first, first thing that I learned is don't trust anyone. <laughs> when you're teaching someone to cross the street or to cross a driveway or to walk on the sidewalk, don't trust anyone. Drivers, I don't know about probably all across the country. Drivers are drivers are crazy anymore. They they don't follow um, speed limits. They run red lights. They don't look before they make a right turn. I was out with a client about a month ago, crossing the street, and we both almost got hit because the car making a right turn did not look for us. This lady slammed on the brakes and she had a little girl on the, on the driver's side. She had to brace herself against the dash because her mom stopped so quickly. I was like, oh, my gosh, um, that those kinds of things surprise me. They probably shouldn't, but they do. Um, what are other things that surprise me? I don't know. Um, you know, the one thing is you'd be amazed how many people are actually helpful to you if yeah. you're standing on the corner. People will often say, hey, can I help you cross? And, uh, you know, I uh, I tell my clients, be really careful about that, you know? Um, and do not cross, even though other people are crossing this. Jaywalkers, that's something that blows my mind. I can't believe that people cross in the middle of a, of a, of a cross, of, of the middle of a block and just in the middle of the street. I That just blows me away. So that kind of stuff surprises me would you feel comfortable not using any names but would you feel comfortable sharing a few success stories you told us about your your student that that helped you find your way here as a mobility instructor how mm -hmm. about some of your successes in the field itself oh i've had a couple successes i'm just gosh um, like, do you remember I told you about one client or a couple times I had a client that was afraid of, um, her, her cane hitting, hitting something because it startled her the whole time. So what mm -hmm. I did is, um, I took her into this, this, this big room that had tables and chairs and I had her going in and out and in and out of the tables and chairs. That was an awesome lesson. I got fussed at because I was in that room, but that's that was just too bad because I was teaching and that was more important. 
So that was that was a really, really good lesson. Um, I've also had a, a couple really good lessons with street crossings, a little a, a couple little um, just suggestions that I offer to some of my clients. Um, but one of the things I super stress is just staying in step and staying in rhythm. That is so important. And I always tell my clients, oh, you might, I don't know if I told you this or not, Anthony, when I was studying to be an O&M and I actually learned how to use the cane, how to stay in step, I failed that section. <laughs> I actually failed staying in step and staying in rhythm. And I had to go back home and practice. So now I make it a point that my clients can stay in step and stay in rhythm. And I tell them why, because I had a client one time we were walking down the street. And at the time, there were a lot of um, parking meters and traffic lights and, you know, a lot of parking meters and signposts up on the sidewalk. And she walked down the, the, the block the first time and she did really good. Coming back, she ran right into a pole and I went, why did that happen? She says, because I wasn't in step and I wasn't in rhythm. And I said, yeah, you're right. And I tell that story multiple times just to get my point across to my clients that it's super important that you stay in step and stay in rhythm. You know, on that, um, one of the things that I struggled with, I'm, I'm a very fast moving person, which is why, you know, I work so well with the dog. Um, I was constantly poking myself in the stomach or chest. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and and that was so frustrating to me. Yes, and, but I did find you know I, I remember those early lessons and my mobility instructor telling me, "What do you hear now? What do you hear now? And mm -hmm. where are you? Mm -hmm. um, yep. I'm on the sidewalk. No, no, no. What? Where are you? Uh -huh. Are you in a driveway? Are uh -huh. you in front of a building? What? What's happening? You know, when we did that for a couple of lessons, um, and that slow, I, I learned to slow my pace and to really marry, you know, what I was hearing Yes. Wind coming between two buildings, cars, you know, slowing down. So I'm getting closer to the corner, um, all of those things. And I stopped hitting myself with the cane, mm -hmm. you know, not completely, but definitely right. not as much as um, you spoke earlier about, you know, it being very in, a very individual process, which it absolutely is. Um, have you ever had a situation where, you know, the per where you did not feel that the person was safe to, you know, to be outside? Yes. Using yes. a cane? Yes. How do you I handle a, something like that? Oh, my gosh. Anthony, I had a client one time. We were working on street crossings. She could not align at the corner. So one during one lesson, I, you know, when I teach, I touch. That's just how I teach. So, um, um, I, I, I held this person by the shoulders and I, I turned her so that she would be straight across the street. Well, she thought I turned her so that she was facing, um, her perpendicular traffic, which meant when she crossed the street, she would hit, hit the traffic. She would be, get hit. And I said, no, why would I do that? Why would I direct you so that you would get hit? I said, no, when we got back to the office, I said, I can't do this. I, if, if you think I'm going to hurt you, then you have no trust in me. And so I, I couldn't teach her anymore because she didn't trust me. And she, you know, thinking I was going to let her walk into traffic. I would never do that. So that was one situation. I says, I, no, I can't do this. What are some of the questions you get from friends and family about your work? 
<laughs> I don't they they asked me a couple they asked me a few things, but I don't think they don't understand what I do. So they don't know what to ask. Um, I I want to show them all the stuff you can do just with your phone, just with your phone. Some of the apps, they, they're, they're just not, I don't know, they're just not interested. But, you know, that doesn't stop me. I love what I do. Um, now, my mom just told me recently, we had a family reunion um, yesterday that I did not go to. But she was telling me that one of my cousins is a para- apparently in a special ed class and she has a student who is either blind or visually impaired who is learning to use a cane and she's just my cousin's just fascinated with this child and my mom thought it might be a good idea for me to talk to my cousin about this so that maybe I can you know help her to understand or help her to work better with the student because she was saying that the student was showing other classmates how to use the cane and say no you're not doing it the right way you do it this way you know so um, yeah. Um, now you were talking about your cane hitting you in the stomach. Um, there's that, have you seen the new, the new big ball tip? It's not really new, but the big ball tip, I've seen a lot more people using that lately. That big, yeah. I like that. It seems to do a lot better on the sidewalks. You know, if you're a sidewalk traveler, um, and you're using a cane. I think that big ball tip is really good. It almost rolls over a lot of the cracks in the side. Not all of them, but most of them. So that's something to consider. We learn something new every day. You said something a, a few minutes earlier about um, red tip. Are, and maybe no one ever told me this. Are most of the tips typically red? Yes. Now, I did not know that. Yeah, your cane should have a red tip. Um, it should be white with a red tip that indicates that the person using the cane has a visual impairment. Um, and there's different colors for different types of disabilities. I'm not sure what they all are. I think there's yellow or for hearing impaired or orange for hearing impaired or something like that. Now, some people have different colored canes. They just like their cane to not be white. They want a pink one or a blue one or a purple one or whatever. And I mean, that's okay, but you just got to be aware that people aren't looking for different colored canes. They're looking for the white one with the red tip. So I would just say, if you got that, just be careful. So let's go back to the tips for a second. Um, okay. Can you tell us some of the differences and why, uh, you know, comfortability and, and safety wise, you know, what are some of the differences between the different kinds of tips? Okay. Um, primarily, uh, now I'm talking about like a, an Ambutech cane, not the not the NFB cane, okay? Right. Because that's typically what I what I teach. The Ambutech cane typically comes with a pencil tip, and that's just a simple blunt tip. I don't like it because, um, well, for older clients, maybe to to help them to learn to stay in step and in rhythm, either the the, the pencil tip or the marshmallow. Um, but the pencil tip's not really good on the sidewalk and neither is the marshmallow because they're both going to get stuck in the cracks. They get snagged. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they're going to stab you in the stomach. Now, you heard about the no jab cane? Um, No. Oh, that's interesting. The no jab cane has been around for a while. Um, it's also an Ambutech cane and the handle of it has a spring inside and it it um, if you if you hit a crack on the sidewalk, the, oh. the grip actually um, goes. It, it absorbs about, the impact. Yes, about five inches. Yeah. Wow. It's cool. It's a really cool cane. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And the 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 um the grip is a real nice soft leather. So you got a hand up. I what do you, uh, real quick? What do you think about telescoping hands? Um, I think they're okay. Um, you just got to. I don't know if it's going to give you as much information. I don't know. I guess it's also going to depend on you and the kind of tip you have too. I don't. I don't know about all guide dog handlers, but I don't carry the Ambitech anymore. Um, okay. I, I carry a telescoping because I find that you know, very in the beginning when um, and everybody said for the first, first six months you're not going to trust your dog, and and I did have a very high level of trust. But when I found found myself in situations where I don't know what he's trying to tell me, I don't know what I had to pull the cane out to kind of right. figure it out. Right. Um, because the one thing I, I was I refused to do was get on, you know, get on hands and knees and try to like feel things. Oh, um, right. you know, yeah. If I if I can't figure it out between the dog and the cane, I'm gonna go back, you know, back the other way, cross over and try it on the other side. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Um, Sheila, whose hand went up? Miss Jane. Hi, Jane. Welcome back. Am I unmuted now? Yes, ma'am. Ooh. Well, I was going to sing you um, <clears throat> a very naughty song about one of the first white canes I ever used. And I was a white cane, what red and white cane user for a long, long time until I switched to dogs in my mid-30s. But I'll sing you just the first two lines. Okay. Because they're family-friendly. I drive an automatic cane. It is a wicked hitting stick. Do, 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 You can use it as a switchblade. Or you can use it as a stick. Do, 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 do. And if you take this job and shove it. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Jay, that was great. Let me say a couple yeah. things. First of all. When my client calls it a stick, I cry. I know. Yeah, I yeah, you should. Them. And yeah. also, let me tell you, it is not a weapon. I have clients that have tried to say, oh, I could use this. As no, it is but not. That's, that's exactly why I wanted to, to do that, to get that out of my system. I love cane travel. Uh-huh. I really do. And I make a point of using a cane at least once a month just to keep alert and aware it's Mm -hmm. so different now i wouldn't go back to white cane use unless i had to and i may have to uh after this dog has decided he's had enough of me and uh anyway but yeah that's why i did that i just wanted to get all the crap out of my system you know what i found that's interesting i found something um i found a a a poem on facebook about Mm. the canes actually um the canes perspective is the name of the poem can i read it please okay it's called canes perspective it's not the best poem but i thought it was pretty cool it's a poem you got it okay you're not the only one who's felt embarrassed to be seen outside walking with me this for many has always been a part of the whole process as together we will train but in time you will realize you'll soon be proud again 
are made to give you back the things that you may feel you've lost, like pride mm. and independence, all the things that blindness cost. It's not a sign of weakness. I'm a reason to be proud. Alleviate anxiety when you're in a crowd. Sometimes I'm left behind or folded up inside your hand, but I'll be ready for you. I won't judge. I understand. I know these feelings i know these feelings natural it's the way the people stare when you can still see some things but for blindness you prepare you don't need to see nothing to be able to use me that's not the way the blindness works it fades so differently i'm here to be a symbol and signal that you're strong a reason not to isolate a reason to belong so Yay. when you so when you're feeling ready, I'll be with you day or night. Unfold me, hold me confident, and swipe me left to right. Eventually, you'll come to terms. Our partnership remain. It's me and you forever. I'm your mobility cane. Well, there you wow. go. Wasn't that cool? Well, I, I think, really I, like I, think that. I have to write it, rewrite it. You know what? I'll tell you what. Yeah, it needs to be rewritten. It, but I just saw it, and I, I just thought it was yeah. cool. I'll send it to we Anthony. And, and we should have once with it. We should have a writing, a writing. Well, I won't say contest because you know some of us get really motivated by competition. Um, but it would be fun to see. You know, I often picture a cane just going tappity tap, tap tap tap, sticking its nose in everybody's business, figuring out where we're going, and I get to laughing about it. But they're such good tools. Really. Oh yeah. It's amazing. It's just so amazing. Yeah. So amazing. And then so my sister. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, well, no, no, my, no. Go ahead. My, my sister is a, a really wonderful orientation mobility instructor, even though she is um, legally blind. She has some vision, but she she's very involved in White King Day celebrations. And she's anyway, she and I talk a lot about it because we have that conversation often uh whether it's preferable to work with a guide dog or a dog guide or a white cane and we just we have a ball talking some of that stuff through oh, that's cold that's neat that yeah. you can talk to your sister about that that's great well we had to grow into it let me tell you well i can only talk to co-worker hmm. judy we lost you lady well, in the meantime, Jane, do you want to share with us what my White Cane Day means for you? Yes. It means I am utterly proud. Now I'm going to cry. I'm utterly proud to be out loud in the world surrounding me. I'm deeply glad that I'm not sad, even though I get mad now and then about what goes on, and, but I love, I love uh, a cane, you know, you slow down, you, you ad adapt yourself to its, um, its skill set, and then you have to really pay attention in the world. Um, using a white cane for me, was my first and best start at saying, I'm on it. I belong here and here and here and over there and get out of my way. 
not really, but sometimes you um, you know you have to struggle with that. But the the information um, that a cane provides you is very different than what a dog does, and so Absolutely. it's imperative to understand the differences and how to make sense of what you're getting. Um, I remember when I first used a cane, and then when I first used a dog, somehow I got the notion that they were the end-all and be-all, and all I had to do was go. And that is as wrong-headed as it's ever been, because in either case, you have to be a partnership. You really, really do. Um, but that's... I've traveled in lots of places in the world. There are some places I would not prefer to have my dog try to work. It's just too complicated for me, probably not for him or her. But um, so I, I am glad I have the the joy of the effectiveness of both, uh, both um, in my life. I really am. That's good Thank to you. hear, Jane. You know, I, I've had this conversation probably here on this show as well. Um, about <laughs> a year into into being in partnership with Bodie, I was with a, a friend of mine from high school, and I was like, you know what? Do me a favor. Um, don't tell me while it's happening, but um, I'm going to ask you. Be just be a little bit more aware. I'm going to ask you. You know, what did I not? What information did I completely miss? Because mm you know, I'm using, I'm using my dog and letting, and, and trusting that what my dog is telling me. Um, and I'll go so far as to say my dog actually, and, and I know this is not the standard, my dog makes decisions. Um, mm -hmm. and I allow it. Um, I have never had, he is an incredible, incredible working dog. So <laughs> I let him make decisions. Um, but you know, I was shocked at, and this was in New York city. So you can imagine, you know, there was an open food container and he looked and he knew he wasn't going to get away with it. And so, oh, that's what that was. Okay. And, and various situations. Um, but don't you love to hear that, you know, from others when you're doing, oh my God. Like, yes. And to yes, me, because... that's the high level of collaboration and partnership. You have to grow into that. I know when my dog is making a decision. Mm -hmm. He shows me that he's paying attention and, and sometimes he makes the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. you get that's him, why you're you know? a team. That's you're exactly team. right. Yeah. Well, in celebration of White King Day, I will tell you a time when my dog made a wrong decision. We were laughing about this recently. <laughs> we Yay. were at the, we were at the Botanical Gardens in Denver <laughs> for um, BPS Denver Fall Social and um, there was a very long lily pond, um, kind of, it was it was alongside the path. And we were up in the area, in the little outdoor food court area, and there were three or four steps up. Um, and to get back to the walking path, you had to go down these steps, but apparently the steps continued where the lily pond um, was. And so he stopped. And I knew we were at the, the, the head of the stairs because I heard the rest of my party going down the stairs. So I said forward. Well, he decided, uh, he said forward, I'm going to go forward. And three seconds later, I heard him before I hit the, I heard splash and then felt splash. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but I, I couldn't be that mad because I told him forward. Yes, and so yes, he exactly. went forward. 
<laughs> you oh, got I, have been in, I have been in the San Antonio River along the river walk for the same kind of thing. My dog was new to that dog was new to me then. And it was very crowded. And he very carefully moved me to the right. And off I went. Splash. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Oh, my goodness. Anthony, but, you, you have know, another hand. Awesome. All right, Jane, thank calling. you so much for joining us. Who's yes. up next, Sheila? Lorraine. Hi. While Lorraine um, is on, oh, God. Go ahead, am Lorraine. I unmuted? I think I uh -huh. am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. A um, couple of questions. Could you just briefly explain what you mean when you say flag with your cane? Mm -hmm. And what do you teach people about seeing AI app? Okay. Flagging with your cane is when you're standing, well, when you're crossing a driveway or you're crossing a street, what you're going to do is you're going to move your cane left, right, left, or le right, left, whatever, um, uh -huh. like three, three, three taps, but they're not high. They're, they're just real, like, um, it's just like you're like two point touch. It's just boom, boom, boom. One, two, so three. So you're just letting them know that you're not just standing yeah. there. Exactly. Okay, so the, yeah. And that's kind of what I thought, but I had yeah. not heard that particular term. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, you don't keep it high. Just keep it low. Just the, just right. the movement, you know, just the driver see your cane move. Yeah. Okay. The question was about seeing AI. Yes. What was what specific? Well, what, what, I mean, what, what part of seeing AI do you teach them to use? Oh, I mean, I okay. I will. I will the scene you. part, or the or what? <clears throat> um, mine's gonna short text. Sorry, mine just came up. Um, so over on done button. Hold on a second. Voice over off. Okay. Um, I show them the short text. I'm sorry, my phone's. I'm just. I wanted to see the the app so I can um sure tell you what I need Nine, to tell you. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I use the short text for clients if they're looking into prescription bottles or they're oh, looking okay. at that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Now, there's yep. another one for documents. They can use yes, them. I, I, I have the Seeing AI app. I, seeing AI app. Okay. I just wondered what you showed them related to mobility or if you use it for other things. I pretty much use it for other things. Not so okay. not much for mobility. Okay. Um, yeah, because I'm okay. a VOT also, so yeah. All right, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, Anthony, we're down to about mm, seven minutes and Jane has her hand raised again. All right, Jane. I just have a quick question. Could you specify a really good book about orientation and mobility? I learned when I was young and that was a while ago. I would love to read current language. Um, even though my sister and I talk a lot, I would love to take a good thorough look at terminology that is useful. You know, Jane, it's pretty much all the same terminology. I don't think oh, okay. except with new new technology. That's I think the only thing. The techniques haven't really the changed. Same. Okay. Yeah, uh, there is a new book that came out a couple of years ago. It's um, I can't remember the name of it. I'd have to go look for it. Um, but it's just an updated version of mm -hmm. one of the like textbooks that we used. Um, mm -hmm. and that's it, like I said, the I don't think the techniques haven't changed. Tips have changed. Um, yes. A friend yeah. of mine told me a, about a new tip 
um, oh golly, what did he say it was called? It's like a universal tip. It's got um, wheels on both sides. And mm. yeah, it's really cool. It, ha it I just can't remember what it's called now. It has wheels on both sides and it's mm -hmm. it, it'll go all the way around. It's it's a, just a really, really cool tip. Mm -hmm. okay. um, I'll find the name and I can let Anthony know that too. Um, and That's of course, great. There's, yeah, there's the um, um, the Dakota disc, like if you're going to the beach, because it goes, works really well on the sand. Um, or if you're walking in the uh, on grass, the, the Dakota disc is good with that. And that new tip I was just talking to you about, I'm going to make myself a list so I can know what to tell Anthony. Um, um, hmm. So uh, it's really, it's really cool. There's a, there's a YouTube video on it too, that somebody was using, um, but it's a really cool tip. It's like $50. So it's expensive, but it it's really, really cool. I'll, I'll let you know what that is. Well, I look I forward we... to hearing just a good book title, just to go back and look at it. I'll tell to. you about the book too. Hey, Eugene, I think we have somebody in clubhouse and we are all like at our last five minutes. So Jane, who do we have quiet. in clubhouse? Well, actually we, don't, but I do know the name of that tip um, that has wheels on it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the Omnisense tip. That's it. it. That's it. Four Omni yes. wheels. Uh, although it might be heavy for my wrist. <laughs> it might be. Um, but you're going to keep uh, it down. You're not going to use it with, with two-point touch. You're going to use it for constant contact. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. I have one more question for you, Judy, before we wrap up. There uh, is a large, and uh, you deal with this a lot more percentage-wise here in Florida, there's a large population aging into blindness and a large portion within that population who don't, they don't want to identify, they're scared to identify. What do you say to someone who, you know, is losing vision and has not gotten themselves you know, some cane instruction. I have a few clients like that, Anthony, and there's not a whole lot I can do. They're going to get to the point when they're going to realize that they need it. And whenever they get to the point where they need it, then they'll say, Judy, I think I can use a little instruction. In fact, I have a client. Um, he's not totally blind. He is legally blind, but he came to me a couple of weeks ago and he says, Judy, you know, like this. He said, Judy, he says, my wife told me I need to start using a cane. <laughs> his <laughs> wife, not him. His wife told him, told him he needed to use a cane. So I thought, oh, that was that was interesting. But we haven't had a chance to actually start his lessons yet. He had some health issues he had to deal with first. But there's not a whole lot you can do, Anthony. They have to determine that on their own. Is there anything sort of boilerplate that you'd say to folks who are contemplating and saying, I don't, I, you know, once I do that, I'm blind. Now I will tell them your cane will keep you safe. That's what it's used for. It'll find things in your path that you know to go around them. And I'll show them, I'll, I'll show them, I'll, I'll put a cane in their hand or I'll, I'll show them myself how it, how it helps to keep you safe. So, but they have to come to that on their own. I can't make them. They have to realize they need it. And whenever they realize they need it, I'll be there to help them. So last question, and it's a two prong. Um, mm -hmm. What has this work meant for you personally? And, you know, in honor of White King Day, what do you say to our community just in general? 
I love what I do. It has meant so much to me to see people be independent. When I see someone that can travel independently with a cane, I can see them walk across the street or do whatever they want to do. They want to ride a, the, the bus or whatever. That just, whenever they don't need me anymore, <laughs> that's when I know I've been successful. And what can I say to your community? I don't know. I love you all. Keep me, keep me busy. I love what I do. I just, I just want to, you know, keep doing what I'm doing. That's, you know, one of the reasons I went back to school to get my VRT, because I figured one of these days I'm going to be too old to, to do O&M, but I can at least do VRT and help people to be independent. And that's my whole thing as a special ed teacher. That's what I, that's what I, my, I, that's what my goal was to help my kids to be more independent. When I got Jesse, who's my student to get up and walk, to the office to carry our our attendance to the office he was able to feed himself that's 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 what i get joy from well i want to thank you so much for spending an hour with us on white cane day and sharing your perspective from the other side um you know you and i will catch up offline in a day or two that's um fine. As always thanks to Sheila Bryn and Jane our Sunday edition crew and um, if you have questions or comments for the show, you can always hit us up at Sunday Edition AC at gmail.com. All one word, no hyphens, no periods, no nothing. Sunday Edition AC. Coming up this coming Friday is our next Behind the Music. And um, we're going to be talking about the theme nights with a special emphasis on this last one, Roulette. So bring your song and tell us, you know, the challenges you had or how much fun you had doing a song that was picked for you and you had no idea what it was going to be. Or if you didn't participate in roulette, you can bring another theme song and tell us the story behind it. Um, and we'll be back next week with the cadence tablet, which like I said, I am so excited to bring to everyone in our ACB world. Everyone have an amazing white cane awareness day, a great week. And we'll be back next week with the cadence. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream one. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday. <laughs>